You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, A Tour Through John. Now looking at Lesson 34. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Well, hello. We're already at Lesson 34 in our series, A Tour Through John. As was noted in the last message, it's quite possible that this gospel ended with chapter 20. If that's the case, then chapter 21 is an addition, possibly edited by the original author or maybe appended by someone else at a future time. We think that this is a possibility because the last two verses of chapter 20 seem like a very natural conclusion. It's a statement of the purpose of John so that we can believe, even if we haven't seen, and seems to tie in very nicely to all the themes and uh, sub-themes of the book. The conclusion, if chapter 21 is the final version, it's not bad, but it's not as, let's say, uh, penetrating and not as connected to the rest of the gospel as the end of chapter 20 is. The miraculous catch, which is related in chapter 21, seems to be yet another sign. And we don't include that in the seven signs, but if there are indeed seven, then this would be an eighth. When we read chapter 20, verse 30, we get the impression that no more signs would be mentioned. These signs have been uh, written so that you may have faith. And yet, certainly what he did in chapter 21 is an amazing thing and appears to be a sign. Now, this isn't to say, I'm not saying that these events didn't happen, only that their inclusion here might have taken place after the first draft of the gospel, the first version. Now, whatever the case, no point of theology is affected. It's not like we get different doctrines or it's a different Jesus. Somewhat like the story of the woman caught in adultery in John 7:53 to 8:11, it rings true, um, although that uh, does not appear in all ancient manuscripts of John. And well, it's the same with this conclusion here. Well, let's read from the beginning. After these things. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. A few comments. Chapter 21 contains an additional appearance of Jesus. Now, we've finished with the seven confessions of faith, uh, Thomas's, which we looked at yesterday, being the final one. We've finished looking at all the I am statements, which reach from chapter 6 to chapter 15. And then we've also finished the signs, the seven signs that appear in the book of signs, chapters 2 to 11. But here is an additional appearance of Jesus. Yesterday, we looked at 
the Sunday morning, the Easter, um, uh, well, the, the appearance was not in the morning, it was Sunday evening when the disciples were hiding up in the room. And then the second appearance was one week later when Thomas was with them. So this is the third one. Now, seven disciples are together. I don't know why two of them are unnamed when five of, five of them are specifically referred to. Uh, there may be some significance there. Maybe there's a symbolism with the number seven. I don't know. But Peter suggests a night of fishing. And that's not odd. Um, it's often easier to fish at night um, or at sunrise, sunset, uh, rather than the middle of the day. Uh, even today, that's the case. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Now, this certainly does not mean Peter was going back to his old life. I've heard it said uh, sometimes in church, well, he had quit. He had given up. Um, nothing in the text suggests that at all. Peter had already seen the risen Lord, and I don't think he's about to make the same mistake he made the night before the crucifixion. So why are they fishing? Well, even apostles must eat. <laughs> and yet the outing has been fruitless or fishless. Now, we do notice there are certain connections uh, between the unproductivity, the absence of Jesus, and possibly the darkness, the night itself. With daylight, think of the 12 hours of day in which we can work. Dark night comes and no man can work. With daylight and the presence of Christ, the disciples are abundantly effective, as we will see very soon. Verse 4, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. Okay, some more comments here. The sun is rising, or about to rise, and there's a man standing on the beach. Now, this time, Jesus doesn't walk out to meet his frustrated disciples, as he did in chapter 6. He stays on land. He waits for them to come to him. He suggests that they fish from the other side of the boat. They take his advice and they succeed on a scale wildly beyond their expectations. Now, there's one disciple who recognizes Jesus. It's the one who's called the disciple Jesus love. We see that phrase starting in chapter 13. If it's John, which is possible, um, and that is by far the uh, consensus of the early church fathers and leaders. Um, I have no problem with that. Though others point out that at the exact moment when Lazarus, whom Jesus loved, is in danger of his life, chapter 12, um, he no longer appears, but now appears this disciple whom Jesus loved. So some people think it could be Lazarus. I don't think it really matters a lot, but it's this one who recognizes Jesus as the power behind this phenomenal catch. Sometimes, of course, we can only see Jesus when we take him at his word, when we obey. But even then, sometimes 
we don't give all the credit and glory to God. The other disciples seem to have been uh, maybe a bit stupefied, whereas the disciple Jesus loved recognizes him. Now, realizing the boat would make it to shore quite slowly and very eager to see his master, Peter puts on the rest of his clothing. Naked doesn't necessarily mean he wore nothing at all. It may just be uh, he was wearing his swimming trunks (laughs) or he was dressed down. But he puts the rest of the clothing on and jumps into the water. Of course, I would ask them to bring it. I wouldn't want to get wet. I'm so proper. But he has no problem with that. He just jumps in. Now, verse 6, another little thing that uh, may, may bother you. It says that they were unable to haul in the net. But then verse 11 says that they did haul in the net. And we find a lot of things like that in the Bible. This is not a real contradiction. It's just a comfortable language of conversation. Bible readers need to learn to distinguish when a statement is meant to be exact or technical, as opposed to something that's more descriptive that relays emotion or impressions. And there's another interesting thing here. The disciple Jesus loved, and let's just call him John here, um, precedes him but doesn't precede him. No, when when they went to the tomb in uh, the previous chapter, Peter ends up first to go all the way into the tomb, even though John gets there before him. And there's a kind of parallel here. Uh, John recognizes uh, the Lord, but Peter actually makes his way to him first. In other words, John gets it first, but he allows Peter to get in line before him. He allows Peter to precede him. Uh, Of course, that fits in really well with the themes of John, of people being on channel one or channel two. You know, how quickly do they get it? Do they get on channel one? But even if you have a spiritual insight, it doesn't mean that we have to be the first to act on it or to let others know. Um, We can be humble and we can step into the background a little bit. And I think that's what John is doing here. Verse 9. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. A few more comments on this section uh, before we um, conclude. The other disciples uh, obviously get there after Peter, according to the text, which is kind of interesting. Presumably the, the, the sheer mass of the fish uh, made, made it harder for the boat to go faster. You would think a boat would be quicker than a swimmer. Um, it's mentioned that they're 200 cubits away, common measure in biblical times, which is 100 yards. Now, this breakfast of bread and fish is already cooking. Now, one thing that occurs to me is that in the previous bread and fish meal, um, that was in uh, chapter 6, the uh, le- there were leftovers, right? 
Matthew actually tells us that Jesus had fed, even though he'd fed more than 5,000 males, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Only a fraction of the amount was that was fed to the group. But here, it's somewhat inverted. They obviously have leftovers, and I'll put that in inverted commas, because they ate some fish, but they're 153 large fish. There's no way that a group of eight would consume them. People have, of course, wondered, what's up with that number 153? What does that mean? Is there a symbolism? And many guesses have been put forth. Some scholars think it's a Pythagorean number, but that's probably too advanced for the average reader of John, I think. Augustine, this is around 400 AD, he said that the significance was that 153 is the sum of the first 17 integers. 153 is the 17th triangular number, and it represents the combination of the seven grace, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and the Ten Commandments. Seems like he's stretching a lot. A contemporary, Jerome, uh, said, Writers on the nature and property of animals who have learned fishing, in either Latin or Greek, say that there are 153 species of fish. (laughs) He says that in his commentary on Ezekiel. Um, There's certainly far more than 153 species, but if that's what people thought, maybe then there would be evangelistic overtones to the catch. The gospel is destined to catch all peoples and all sorts of peoples. Think of the parable of the dragnet, Matthew 13, 47. The untorn nets are often interpreted as the church of Christ, able to contain people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, and hold them all without division. But as you can see, we're really spiritualizing the passage when we go that way. Maybe the easiest interpretation is not to read anything into the number 153 apart from the fact that not a fish was missing. D.A. Carson, a prominent biblical scholar, concludes, if the evangelist has some symbolism in mind connected with the number 153, he has hidden it well. (laughs) And I, I would agree with that. Jesus urges them to eat. Again, they're mildly stunned. In their minds, they know it has to be Jesus, but he looks different somehow. Just as on the Emmaus Road, Luke 24, They know it's Jesus, but remember, he's got a resurrection body, and one of the properties of the resurrection body is that he had some control over what others perceived when they they saw it. He feeds the seven men. This is his third appearance to the disciples. Again, the first two were the previous chapter on successive Sundays. Now, remember how eager Peter is to meet Jesus. He jumps in the water, he swims, he gets there before everybody else. We'll return to their dialogue in our final study of John's Gospel uh, tomorrow. Just a few things that I notice before we pray. And I, I, uh, you, you can, uh, maybe you've noticed some things that are more significant. But one is that the seven fishermen include one who had verbally and emphatically denied the Lord. There's one who's famous for his doubting. And then there's one who was initially skeptical about Jesus being the Messiah. I refer, of course, to Peter, to Thomas, and to Nathaniel. Jesus serves his disciples. This is not the only place in John's gospel. And that makes me really think, how do I uh, behave myself when I have opportunities to serve? Especially when others uh, might think that it's more appropriate that they serve. But Jesus is serving to the very end. 
And my third observation, he has a plan, but he's not rushed. Of course, the Lord's never rushed. And he's going to get around to his private conversation with soon enough, but not until they've had breakfast. Now, before we pray, I wanted to read these verses one last time. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And there was, though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Dear Lord, we thank you for, again, this amazing account in this second ending of John's gospel. It gives us hope because sometimes we feel in the same position. We've been in the boat all night. We have nothing to show for our labors. And we're trying to be positive. And yet when you appear when you reveal yourself to us it fills us with a dawning recognition and amazing excitement and you serve us uh, you feed us in every possible way and we trust you for your wisdom for the plan that you have which is never rushed is always time just right and it makes us look forward to having separate devoted time with you help us lord to make time for the things of the spirit in our lives not to be rushed and to realize that at the end of the day we'll be more productive accomplishing what you want us to accomplish if we're just with you if you're just with us we thank you so much for jesus christ amen we hope you enjoyed douglas's teaching on a tour through john for additional notes and resources be sure to check out douglas's website in the show notes the website has hundreds of articles podcasts and videos free to access for free You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.